Welcome to Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through cyberspace with conversations that are candid and are about human behaviour and technology. Brought to you by Kath Nibs. Hi and welcome to this week's episode. This week I'm joined by uh, a very good friend who's also a psychotherapist, uh, Rona Stillman, and we talk attachment. We really go into um, subject matter around devices, what attachment is, why it's important. And this is probably the first conversation I've had where I was um, bouncing off somebody quite a bit in terms of the way that we think and the way that we both approach this subject matter. Um, so we don't go into full psychobabble. You will be pleased to know that. Um, I do kind of rein us in in terms of uh the the language that we use um but this is a really interesting concept for some of you um you'll get a sneak peek in terms of some of my thinking around my writing uh for my book and what i teach so for those of you who are interested in what is it that i would be getting if i contacted Kath for any training that there would be conversations around uh this this 45 50 minutes that we did today we're probably going to have another conversation because there's just so many avenues to go down in terms of um, therapeutic, psychological, sociological theories that underpin our behaviour in and around digital spaces, uh, digital devices, technology, cyberspace, whatever you want to call it, virtual landscapes. Um, that, that It's just a really, really interesting conversation. We do talk parenting, we talk uh, therapy, we talk um, things that we've noticed in terms of human behaviour and development. Um, it's a proper smorgasbord. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation, really, really enjoyed this conversation. And when I listened back to it, there's elements that I missed to continue talking about. So I've kind of made my own little notes about going back to Ronan and saying, how about we talk about this area, see if we can expand it that little bit more. Um, but as you'll hear, we were just literally bouncing off each other in terms of uh, fizz buzzies, uh, you know, my term about kind of getting those synapses firing and what we were thinking of. Um, hopefully you'll all enjoy it. Uh, if you are a therapist, because I know that both Ronan and I will share this to therapist networks, please do share it around your students. Um, this is a really, really new and evolving area and there's a whole, it's about a decade of my research and inquiries around this that sit behind a lot of the conversations that we have. Um, yeah, this is, this is going to be really, really interesting for those of you who do work with clients who present with what they call issues with it or present with what they don't think are issues or parents who send their children with what they think are issues, etc. ad finitum. Um, so as per usual, I'm now going to do the bit that I'm really quite rubbish at in terms of my podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes. Uh, please subscribe on YouTube. It depends on where you're watching this. Please do share this uh, uh, around, but also please comment and leave a review. Um, and go back to episodes that you might have missed. Uh, listen to them. Come back to this one. Uh, this is an ever-evolving podcast, and it is mainly about human behavior, attachment, trauma. This is, this is the real human side of digital technology. Um, so have a good week. Uh, we're still not out of COVID. Uh, that much I can tell you because this will go out first Monday of July, which means that we won't have got past the first week of people going back. Although I'm sure that there's going to be bumps on the way. So we'll, we'll find where we are with that. Um, I hope the weather's lovely. Uh, it's been okay during most of lockdown for many of us. Um, take care, be well, stay safe and stay home if you need to. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week I'm joined by Ronan Stillman. He's an integrative transactional analysis uh, practitioner, psychotherapist, trainer, supervisor and one of my esteemed colleagues who also shares a lot of um, opinions, fascination and um, curiosity around the internet around our devices and essentially what we're going to talk about today is probably pluralistic um, approaches attachment technology where we're going covid so you know welcome Ronan and, and thank you for giving me the time for this I'm really excited Thank you for having me, Kath. I, I love speaking to you. I'm sure you're aware of that. I think I think we geek out a little bit. I think that's what it is. So we, we've just had actually a, a quick 
off-screen uh, conversation about technology and where we're heading with it. Um, so do you want to start with what you have noticed in terms of where, where we're currently at? Um, I'm just thinking about this, this conversation that we've just had about COVID yeah. and suddenly the influx of technology into everybody's lives. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think we both noticed some sort of an ambivalence relationship of, of, of a therapeutic community with, with technology. And, and of course, I, I understand the ambivalence. I understand, I understand that. And, and, and at the same time, you know, what's happened recently with the, with the COVID-19 pandemic is that technology itself had allowed us as a community to survive mm-hmm. in some cases, to actually continue to work. Um, and it really, in a way, forced the issue for the psychotherapy community in terms of the existence of technology. In some cases, it actually exists and it can be used. You know, the, the, the advantages, the, the risks, the, the, the questions outstanding uh, that we have around how we work with, with technology. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's, it's a great time to start opening that conversation. And, and one of the things that I, I'm, I'm aware of is, is that there is a tendency to kind of go into, this is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong, this is safe, this is unsafe. This kind of a polarizing narrative, mm-hmm. I think is unhelpful because the, 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 the technology that we're using, the internet is a new technology. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a two decades old, the, um, you know, the iPhone, Facebook, social media is one decade old. It's new. We don't understand yet the implications that that um, that using the technology have. We have a view, an initial infancy understanding of where we're at. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say, and a lot of that comes from a place of fear. You know, there's. Um, I think we were talking the, those injunctions, the don't, don't, don'ts. Um, I've noticed that there's a lot of scaremongering, um, research that's being touted as this is the evidence, and yet we haven't had a longitudinal period to be able to say, actually, this is what we found to be the impact, or this is what we found to be the progress, the positives, this is how it works with us, for us, against us. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm really curious, actually, about all of these um, diagnoses that appear and, and ways that we can have a digital detox as though we've been poisoned by this technology and I think our, our language and narrative at the moment is very fear-based. Yeah and you know language, language is, is a mindset, language is, 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 is an indication of what goes inside and you know again we earlier talked about I really like this idea of the dialectics of progress, this idea that, you know, when there is a big advance, then there is there is an advance, but there's also some sort of a, a, a shadow to that, that we, we ha- that is present, we don't fully understand. And I think, you know, the internet and its vastness of it, it's, it's limitless and it's, it's foreverness. That's something that you say about the, the internet, it's foreverness. That is, that is, that is unhuman. You know, these are things that are so alien to the human uh, uh, existence. We are not forever. We are not vast. We are <laughs> limited. We are interim. And I think that's very, very scary because there's something, I think, alien about that. And at the same time, something very attractive and seductive. And, you know, when we are attracted and seduced, we are also a little bit scared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's it's the apprehension, isn't it? But oh, yeah, I'm just thinking. Oh my goodness, I'm getting so excited already. <laughs> <laughs> this is um, so. This is what I was talking about. So I did a, an article for the UKCP magazine, and I was talking about how some of our um, theoretical frameworks no longer have the fit for purpose system behind them. So, so for example, death used to be finite. It was, and, and this is the human. Um, uh, concept isn't it death is finite you only have x number of years on the planet you know nobody has yet gone past 150 years so we know that that's kind of like the limit and yet technology is bringing this existential 
um, threat, but also it brings this existential excitement because technology is now increasing the longevity. I know that, that um, some of the people I follow in the biohacking world, they're, they're making statements that they're going to live to 180. So it is that, it is that idea of foreverness and it's, it's beyond our comprehension, I think. Yeah, and, and we don't have, we don't have be a benchmark for that as well. Mm -hmm. So when we don't have a benchmark where we cannot compare to something, again, there's something very ungrounding about us, about this, you know, it's, what, what is, how do I relate to that? Relating requires, for me to relate to you, I need to have some sort of a, I use myself as a benchmark. Okay, so how do you impact me? How do I feel about you? How close to, am I to you? How far? How, how scared or, or defended or whatever? in relation to you is a lot about my stance. So if you don't have that benchmark, then you, you lose, again, you lose ground. So, and what happens when we lose ground? We, we are in a threat response. And again, that kind of links into where we are at at the moment anyway, with this pandemic, you know, there is, there is we are in a kind of a systemic threat response yeah. where, you know, uh, our, our existence is a threat because of, of a, 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 an invisible um, virus. We have had a significant, significant change in the way that we relate over the past decade uh, with the, advert, uh, the advent of, of, of the technology that is very, very social, that it's very, very connected on one hand, but on the other hand, we also see and experience a, a greater sense of disconnect, disconnect in family, disconnect interpersonal. You go to public places and everybody's watching their phones. You know, you go to concerts and people are watching the concert through their phones when they are in the concert hall. I mean, it's things like that. There yeah. is another layer. And that layer, we, 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 I think we are starting to attach more and more to it. You know, when attachment is a very powerful process, mm -hmm. it is a transformative process. It is um, a, a, a process of growth, but also can be a process of, of great inhibition and trauma. You know, yeah. We experience trauma through a lack of attachment or an attachment that is, is dangerous or unsafe or problematic. Well, so, this, yeah, this comes from all of that. Um, kind of like the interpersonal neurobiology, isn't it? Is is I? It's the and I'm thinking of Mar uh, Martin Buber I now, but that benchmark that you're talking about has a reference self, and what what we have. In fact, I talked about it this morning. Is what we now have is this this thing that sits in front of us. So rather than it being myself and yourself, there is myself, this thing, and yourself, and I'm I'm beginning to integrate this thing that's in front of me, whether it's a screen on a, a laptop. Um, desktop, iPhone, that that it becomes that thing about the screen then becomes part of you. And it's, and I think it's, it's an incredibly important point because I think it's getting bigger mm. because it's not anymore that I see you. I touch the screen. So on average, right? On average, let's say the UK adult person, uh, the UK adult spends about three hours a day touching the screen about a thousand times a day. Imagine what it would be like to stroke somebody a thousand times a day. There is, you know, so our, our, our language of attachment, eye contact and touch are activated. Mm -hmm. So we, we are becoming emotionally connected yes. to the things. Well, um, this is the premise. This is the premise of the, the um, my my cyber trauma theory and how i how i've actually said that so i'll, I'll make it very brief and, and simple but our very first experience of safety and security is is post womb so there we are we've been born and you know it's a bit disney this you know mother holds the baby towards the breast the baby hears and feels that somatic that haptic feedback there is this eye to eye connection it's true attachment in its in its most beautiful form and that, that baby then gets this inherent sense of this is safe. Well, the thing that I noticed, and it came from kind of a lot of the ophthalmology research, because my, my background's in eyes and lasers and sights and anyway. And what, what I noticed was that people also sit 
about the same distance as babies do from breast to eye or breast to face. And then actually what I've noticed is we, we have that same zone of um, safety, proximity. And I think that there's a lot of biology being evoked in, in our interactions with screens. And yet that, that kind of haptic feedback of I touch you is exactly how it happens in the early formative space for, for babies in terms of mother touches baby, baby touches mother. There's a reciprocation. It's all somatic, it's haptic. And then the kind of nuances that I'm seeing are, and what about those children who aren't born in those secure settings, who don't get that, that experience, who then move into this technology and are touching without having that very first baseline reference to, to kind of relate to? Oh, that's, that's, that's such an interesting point because in, in, so what, what I, how I think about this is, is then, then what happens with digital natives yeah, they, they, they were they are born to this reality, unlike perhaps you and I and and, and, and all the generations of digital migrants, where where they did not have a competing attachment experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that we? So so if you if you are in that if you are growing up in this in these circumstances, yes, you don't have the the that uh, um, real mother father uh, attachment figure. Might you replace your ability to attach and regulate with technology? So technology, if, if what we're talking about this attachment means that we, I think we are using technology more and more as a form of regulating mm-hmm. mm. because it has a touch and a vision. And I think, you know, in a few years, probably sensory and and, and, and auditory, you know, this is what the immersive movie experience. Now you go to this 4D and everything moves and water is sprinkled on you. And, you know, there's something very, you know, this immersive experience that we talk about means that we we use technology to, to or technology evokes a, an emotional response. And that emotional response creates an attachment. And, 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 and that, I think, is what I'm really interested in, in how does that attachment gonna get translated in the coming years to, um, you know, good things like working with VR and working with biofeedback that I know you're really interested in and what's the shadow aspect of it? Mm-hmm. What, what, what does attachment to technology do to our ability to socialize and bond given that attachment is a key vehicle for socialization and bonding. Yeah. These, are the, these, are, these are questions. I'm not, I don't, I'm not proposing a gloom and doom scenario. I think it's really important to say that. They said, oh my God, we're going to get all in love with our screens and therefore we will stop being able to socialize. No, that is not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there is a process that we do not understand yet. We don't have language and theory to explain what is happening. We have a language and theory to understand, to name those, you know, we were talking about attachment and neurobiology, but what actually is going to be the result of this? Mm-hmm. We don't know, and we are not going to know. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually in a, in a process at the moment of um, going off on lots of different tangents in terms of my thinking, the research. And one of the things I've noticed is that immersive technology is changing the way that I'm relating with my clients in in a therapeutic setting, but also the way that I then go and use technology um, has resulted in my my thinking expanding and going, oh my goodness, this could be used so brilliantly for therapy, but it can also be abused and, and misused by those people who who are, you know, they are the the people in society that use things for evil, for ill, uh, you know, the, the kind of framework that we have there. And yet I'm seeing that I, I have this, it's, I have this polarity all of the time. I'm very polemic in terms of I'm excited, but fearful. I'm curious, but reticent. I'm, and it's always this dichotomy of I'm so excited. And yet, as, as you're saying, I'm then sitting with the, the therapeutic community saying, come on, we need to be really looking at this. We need to be really getting excited and, and, and trying to do deep research on it. And what I do find is that it's, it's something that people are saying, well, we, we, we'll, just, we'll just use this bit, Kath. And we, we, 
that, that doesn't seem to be yeah. the... Let's like... just talk about Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think, I think we talked about this example about the cars, right? So cars were introduced in the beginning of the previous century. And when they were introduced, some people are absolutely terrified about it because it's like, what is this big thing that makes lots of noise? And, and you know, and some people thought, wow, this is amazing. And it completely transformed how we live. It, 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 it increased urbanization. It completely changed our perception of distance. It, it, it became a big industry. And now we know, in hindsight, a significant contributor to global warming, to pollution. And the interesting thing is that cars are really dangerous machines. Yeah. They kill. They kill. But do we not drive them as a result? And I think this is the same question that I have. Yes, this new technology has danger in that all the new things that we find out are dangerous if we do not understand them, if we don't understand our limitations in relating to them, in, 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 in driving them, excuse the pun. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. I want to be on the driving seat in terms of our relationship with technology rather than on this sort of recipient, passive, scared, frozen. Yeah, well, this is where the technology brings, brings it. I mean, this is, this is why I came up with the cyber trauma theory. And when I first said cyber trauma, I was talking about traumas that were caused to the person, but actually the technology can cause that same trauma. And it's, it's in terms of as it advances, um, I, I see, well, it is, it's that, it's that, um, that you were talking about earlier. It's that reticence to use something because it's the fear of not knowing exactly what it is and what what de what does it bring and unfortunately we do happen to have a number of people who have authored some books authored some articles and recently there was one going around that that, that there seems to be a bit of an argument in cyberspace about technology is bad for mental health because it's just as addictive as heroin or more addictive than heroin um, and then there becomes this argument back about, well, no, it's less dangerous than boiling potatoes. And, you know, we, we've had this debate for a long time, the video screen debate, the screen time debate. And, and it would seem that as soon as um, that there's a media driven push to say this technology is doing this, it is causing this. I think we can buy into that because humans like sensationalism and to pay attention to the fear. Yeah, and, and I also think that, you know, obviously there is an element of truth in that, but there's also, also food is addictive, you know? Um, exercise is addictive and can be an addiction and can cause harm. And I think this is the thing. It's, it's, it's there's something about saying, yes, this can be addictive. Yes, this can be dangerous. And yes, this might not be that different from any other things that we have to relate to in our world and and i think the the answer here is not to jump into conclusion but to to really be open to understand and to explore and to become curious about the possibilities the limitations the strengths the weaknesses that's 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 i think the beat for me that is that is missing less less judgment more more conversation more curiosity more openness about Hmm. I wonder, and as therapists, that's what we are inviting others to do in the therapeutic space, rather than jumping to conclusion about your value. How about we notice what's happening? How about we explore what's happening and what happens to you in relation to that? Well, I mean, that, that's where a lot of my knowledge has come from, is those wanderings uh, with with my clients about the technology and about what what they feel it's doing and and you know how it's changing their relationships and what they've noticed, so I'm I'm quite curious to ask you then, why why do you think there's the lack of wondering from certain communities such as such as ours and you know psychiatrists and um and there seems to be. Uh, the, the opposite, actually, there isn't any curiosity really um, in terms of parenting, because what I'm finding is there's, there's a lot of fear being driven at the parents about um, children becoming addicted to these devices, to these games, you know, this screen time. And funnily enough, 
I noticed that the narrative really changed when we went into COVID and all of the, the sudden ills of screen time were now being seen as, well, actually, we socialised through it. And I thought, isn't that, isn't that funny yeah. how, how we do that? I, I think for me, it's, you know, again, as a parent and as a parent who's gone through those processes with my children around screen time and, 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 uh, and, 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 and being worried about their ex experience and worried about their childhood and worried about the effect. And we have long, long conversations about technology and its impact and what, what does it sometimes stops you from doing? You know, you're, you're playing, you're playing a Minecraft rather than playing outside when it's a beautiful day. What's that about? Mm -hmm. But I think, I think I've, so I think the, the, the why is that is, is again, it's, it's the lack of understanding. That's what drove me into starting to understand more. When I, when I started to notice that my children behave in a very, very different way in terms of how they socialize, yeah. I was yeah. alarmed. I was alarmed. And I was alarmed because one, for one thing, it was very different from my experience. I spent my childhood on the street, not in the house playing on the computer games with a person who lives next door to me. We would be outside. Now, is that better or worse? My initial stance was, oh, that's terrible. That's not okay. And I think now, given that the, the frame has changed, I'm thinking, oh my God, if we didn't have that, my kids would be completely and utterly depressed. Yeah. You know? Because they would have no contact with their peers. So maybe there is an advantage here. Maybe there are times where this is actually really, really helpful and useful which is not to say that if, it, if it's like that all the time, it's okay. And I think this grandiosity of all or nothing, yeah. you know, talk about the polarity, is where we are at, at at a personal level and at a societal level because this is new and we don't fully understand it. And some of the things, when we, are, when we have new technology that we don't understand, then the first people who cash on it are what you, you call the evil. People, yeah. So, you know, when the telegraph and the radio was introduced, then propaganda of the Nazis became a big thing. Mm. You know, when the social media was introduced, then we got Trump and Brexit. <laughs> you know, the, I think these things are linked. So our first experience of this at a systemic level isn't particularly good. And I think that creates fear. And I think our, our task both as a community, is to educate ourselves in terms of what are the, what, where's the power in this? And how might we, this power be a force for good, for development, for crisis, yeah. for humanistic development and growth? I, absolutely. I think the, the systemic, I'm just thinking actually, that systemic view is really, really welcome actually. I'm just thinking that this is, this is about so we, we've had this so many times before. We've had it on books. We've had it on um, music. We've had, it doesn't matter what that new form. And I'm thinking it's more around communication rather than technology. So if, if we think about uh, ye olde caveman that sat around, we, we sat around and told stories around a fire. And then when we could pass those stories on in a different way, that was when it was that was when it was seen as a difficult transition because we started to write things down. And that meant that everybody within that tribe would then have to upskill to be able to move into that new level of communication. So I'm going to go off a slight tangent here. This is almost like um, Ken Wilber's levels of uh, integral theory, that as, as you supersede, as you go up the systems, you actually find that you're losing people behind you because they're not able to upskill, they're not able to stay in that realm with you. And then, then you have this elitist divide which is what which is what I think might be happening at the moment in terms of you know those of us that are moving with the technology that understand it and you know I'm thinking about my childhood was slightly different to yours because I did go do quite a bit of computing I, I've been around them since I was about um, 9, 10, 11 so my, my passion for this technology has meant that this is my this is my second language and I'm really, really comfortable in and around this space and this technology and how it works and what it does and its potentials and where we're heading. And then I have to kind of rein myself back in and think, okay, so what is going on with this system? And what, what is the, 
what what are the stumbling blocks? What are the obstacles? It's really interesting because what I'm getting in touch is with the idea of of of, of being so I'm by, I'm trilingual, right? So, and I and I find it fascinating when when people say to me, oh, I only, for example, we live in the UK, so I only speak English. And, 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 and when I speak any other language around them, they become very, very, very um, uncomfortable. And, and they're, they're kind of the first place they go to is, oh, you're probably speaking about me. Yeah. <laughs> it is obviously, you know, you're not that central. And, and, and I think this, it's interesting because for you, technology is a, is a, is a mother tongue. And, and for the digital migrants like me and like a lot of other people in the community, technology is a foreign language. And some people will be interested and curious and will want to learn it. And some people will just say, this is gibberish. I don't understand it and I don't want to understand it. And what they miss is the ability to, co- to, to connect with what's going on. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. what happens if, 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 if I'm able to flip between more than one language, then I can communicate and connect with more people, for example. Mm. I, to begin with, isn't it polyglot? <laughs> isn't it when, when you can speak three or more languages, isn't it a polyglot? Anyway, I have no idea. I, I, <laughs> She's not my mother tongue. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm sure it is. Mm. I'm, I'm going to have to go and Google that afterwards. I'm like, is it a polyglot? Anyway, so... So you're going to ask Google. Um, I, I will do. Actually, it came out of a book that. So I I use um, a terminology for myself, which is polymath, because <laughs> because of different areas. Um, and and I'm I'm 99 certain that polyglot is somebody who can speak a number of languages, usually three <laughs> or more. Mm-hmm. Hence, polyvagal is three. And anyway, that's good my, to know. My my fizz buzz moment when you were talking then, and I'm now thinking I'm going to go back to the attachment thing is. So, so your experience is somebody who hears you talk in a, another language automatically perceives you must be talking about me. So now I'm going to transition that in terms of into cyberspace, that this is what humans do, isn't it? That automatic reaction to, I don't understand what you're doing, therefore it must be about me, therefore I now need to pay attention and I need to be in this space as much as I can to try and, you know, almost work out what it is that you're doing, saying, thinking... Do you think that kind of transitions over into the, the social media space that this is why people spend so much time there because they are making that assumption that other people are looking at me, talking about me, putting things up about me? You know, you know how we do in the, the corporeal? Um, I, I, I mean, I think there is an element in that. Um, I, think, I think the use of social media um, is... is, is is, is, a, is a real complex question. And I have, I have a few ideas uh, about that. I see, I think this is one of them. I think there's something also about, you know, our, you know we are social animals. So it, it, is, it is, you know, it is an, another um, vehicle for socialization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also think, and I also think that it, it goes back to the, the connection, disconnection. Difficulty or tension that we have to manage in, in our life is I want to connect, uh, and if I'm not connected, I'm disconnected. In an is disconnection, isolation, which is a, re- a problem that often appears, I think, yeah. in the therapeutic space. So if I'm not on social media, does that mean I'm isolated? Uh, and, uh, or conversely, I have to be on social media as much as possible so that I am not isolated, so that I'm not, you know, this is FOMO that I don't miss out, that I don't miss out on information on what's going, happening there or whatever. Um, and I think there is another thing which we've not talked about yet, which is what, what, is, what happens to us uh, intrapsychically, in, internally, that drives us to reach out to pick up the phone. And I think one of the things that I've noticed is that we pick up, I pick up the phone and I see other people pick up the phone when I'm on my own. Or when I'm when I'm in an environment that I have to wait, or when I'm in a, in, a, in a, perhaps in a public space when there are strangers around me, I think I think I think there's something about going to, you know, the familiar because I carry my entire social world 
in this little thing. Yes, there is yes. a safety, my safety object, my transitional object that, that, that helps me regulate. We're going back to say that it helps me regulate my anxiety of, of being alone in the world. And, 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 and that helps me remember that it's safe, that there are people out there who are interested in me, who love me, who want to be connected. And therefore, the, the shadow side of it is that I don't, the, the synchronicity of, of meeting people who are outside of my frame of reference. Yeah. It's yeah. Um, the positive and negative and shadow and light aspects of that are, I'm really interested in that. I, I, I am definitely with you on this one because one of the things I've noticed is that that, uh, that intrapsychic process is also present when you, when you log on, even though we don't log on anymore, but there's that idea of you look down at your, your list or, or whoever you're following, whatever's going on, and some of the conversations may leave you feeling more disconnected. So, so that it's that ideal of you don't know what you're going to, you don't know what you're going to meet with, and you don't know what level of contact you will have. And I'm aware that I'm now beginning to use TA kind of terminology, so I'll just rein that back in a bit. That there's something about we don't know who we will meet, how we will meet them, where we will meet them. And recently, obviously, we're, we're all having to do this two meters apart, standing queuing. I've been really fascinated with because I because I spent a lot of time. Um, uh, really as a child outside playing on my own and then um, you you do this thing like climbing up trees by yourself and looking out at the world I think we were talking about stars earlier um, that there's something about I'm able to stand and watch people and and I conversely I noticed that my children who are in their 20s they struggle to do that so I, I can be stood and just be you know bored watching the wind blow something watching people walking past and you know just being quite oh okay to watch and stand and be and yet that that feeling doesn't it that intrapsychic loneliness pops up and if you're in a queue you can pick up your phone and be with people and stimulated mm. so and i think this is the thing so where where i think where where this where what this provides is connection but it also provides stimulation and 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 boredom you know you talked about boredom we know that boredom is about um, or, or being able to manage and, and, and regulate boredom is about um, being able to connect with myself, mm -hmm. being able to stand still, you know, at, 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 a, at a psychological level rather than get, you know, deregulated in some way. Yeah. And when we can do that, then we, we, we go into a place of creativity, a place of reflection. And if you don't know how to do that, because when you have learned from a very young age to pick up and start yeah. touching and stimulating and regulating yourself through something else that is not you, what, what does that what does that, what are you missing in terms of development? Mm -hmm. The staring at the stars, we talked about earlier about how we like looking at the vastness of, of, of the stars and, and, and how beautiful that is. There is no equivalent. You, you, you will not have that physical and emotional experience um, through that screen. Mm. It, it's, it's not the same. So again, I have a question mark around that. You know, I, I so how sometimes I make my children physically make them. I will take the gadget off them and I will put them on and say, just go outside and I don't care, get bored. Um, and I don't yet know if that's the right thing to do. They absolutely detest me for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I talk to them about this. I explain to them what my thinking is. Um, and that in itself opens a, a dialogue, a connection about you know development and and, and and what how do you how do you get creative how, how do you get um um how do you manage loneliness you know I, well i mean we know we know uh, that uh, that was a, such a, a, a 
an in-club statement then, wasn't it? That was our group. We know. Um, us psychotherapists, actually, I think we know as human beings that loneliness is the most distressing state we, we can be in. And I know, I think it's, um, I think the biggest killers of um, the older generation is loneliness followed by stress uh, and stress-related illnesses, etc., etc. I would say that loneliness is a stress-related illness um, because it does, it, it evokes and elicits that kind of... Um, lack of physiological arousal doesn't it so i'm i'm thinking conversely if you go back to the the perinatal spaces then actually what we might need to do as a, a society is work with newly borns and their mothers and newly borns and their caregivers whoever or wherever they may be in terms of learning how to self-regulate because we have to have co-regulation followed by self-regulation and if we didn't get that co-regulation to begin with then what we're going to notice about co-regulation is that it involves this other thing. Now, I've written about this, but haven't quite said, don't stare at phones, mum, you're going to change the relationship. There is, there is an element of that. But yeah, I see that, that, that children are able to do this with each other so that I'm, I'm seeing lots of children learning to co-regulate with each other on their devices. That's, that's really my thinking is, perhaps where it gets missed by the adult they do learn to do this with each other in terms of through the virtual space there's less um physical bickering so i've noticed that when when i'm looking at um like nursery level or maybe year one so you you're only talking up to about five five years of age that in a in a corporeal setting there's a lot of push shove and, and you know this is mine and that negotiation tends to be much easier when they get to about six seven eight if they're in an online setting so i i suspect that there's a lot of i want to call it lord of the flies it's young children managing their own space and time mm, it's and, a really interesting metaphor because if you think about the games that so my my my, <laughs> my kids are slightly older than that now and they play the equivalent lord of the flies online which is you know call of duty or or a, uh -huh. You know, those, those sort of games where there are packs and they have to negotiate and work together as a team to, um, you know, to, to win the game is to alienate the, the competing team. Um, there, is, there is, you know, quite a lot of bickering and swearing associated with that. Um, yeah. And, and I suppose there is something about, um, and I think that's, that's obviously, it's a great teacher for, for group dynamics, for for collaboration um, and, and, and again, if I think about where sometimes where my anxiety gets evoked in relation to that is, is when it stops and, and, the, and the dysregulated res response that, 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 that my children can have because I've unplugged them, because it's, it's, it's time to stop. I think that's the bit that I sometimes think parents worry about and say, well, the the reaction is it, it, it's such it's so palpable, it's so, it's so dysregulated, it's so strong, that is it's it's quite it's strong, you know. And I think we I still don't have an answer to that in terms of how do I teach them to relax that they say okay there's time for this and there's time for that. Um, now, actually, I have, um, I've taught and I'm writing about this at the moment. And one of the things I've, I've kind of said is when, when a parent walks into a room, more often than not, they see their child with the headset on and within, within their kind of framework, they walk in and it's their child. And they will say, okay, you need to get off the game now. And I spend an inordinate amount of time in, in psychotherapy explaining to parents, you're not looking at just your child, you are looking at a football field in, in, in essence. And bearing in mind, would you walk straight onto the middle of a football field, pick your child up and say, right, tea time? Or would you, would you look at the landscape? Would you assess what's happening? Would you say to your child, okay, when it gets to half time, when it gets to full time, then I'd like you to come in for your tea, et cetera, et cetera. And what, what I tend to get back from the parents is, well, what, well, how do I know that, Kath? And I say, well, go and watch the game. Go and learn about the game. And if you know that there's a save point or that they're about to complete a match and that there's a time frame on it, you can learn 
to and it's it's about negotiation you you can walk in and you can say okay when when is your next save point particularly if they're doing a a, a type of game where they can move through sectors because it that's what leads to a lot of the dysregulation is you know mum stopped me 30 seconds from my next save point so i've just lost all of that history which was time and effort and skill and you know that's really really important to young people so for me there's something about you need you need to view the landscape as you would do as if you were outside and more often than not parents walk in the room they see their one child shouting at the screen <laughs> and they don't know the the context of what why that's occurring or what's been going on and what the background is to it because you know children don't just shout at screens for nothing and they don't get dysregulated without a prompt Yes, no, I think that's that's very important what you're saying, and, and I do recognize that, and, 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 and indeed I have learned to accept, or I have, you know, 30 seconds for the game, or I, I need three more minutes, and, and, and I have learned to not just go, well, I'm just going to switch it <laughs> off, and yeah. then get into some sort of a power dynamics with, with them. It's just to, to, so I think it's a, it's a very important point that you're raising, that there is something about accounting for where they are at that we don't see because we are not present there. Mm -hmm. And I think I, that's... It's a different landscape, Ronan. I think this is, the, as parents, as practitioners, it's, it's that environment that I don't think many of us understand in terms of what, what we see is our supposition. It's, a, it's our assumption about what we think it should be. And as the parent, if you haven't engaged in that technology and you haven't been curious to find out what your child's doing, who they speak to, I mean, for me, I watched my children growing up and I used to, I used to say things like, so that they'd have the headset on and they'd go, right, over here. And I'd say, how does somebody know where you mean? It, it, would, it absolutely blew my head in that these, these young people knew exactly what was going on. And it took me a while to work out, oh, not only are they navigating this, they're also navigating the audio um, levels and they're looking at a heads up display and they're looking at a map and they're looking at something else. And that's when I started to realize when my kids were about 10, 11, 12, their level of attention and uh, proprioception in terms of what they're doing in the game absolutely superseded anything I'd ever contemplated before. And, and I find it such a, um, a neuroplastic advancement in terms of cognition, what they're doing with their hands, the level of multitasking, but also I know from the research and, and kind of what we do, that they can't possibly be giving 100% to each of those tasks because we can't multitask. It's neurobiologically, we know this. So for me, what what's occurring, what's changing, what's going on here, and how do we measure that? And then, you know, these will be, in the next 10 years, people that are going into politics, people that are going into the design of the next level of technology, so and to the working space, yeah. yeah. And I think that's kind of a closes the circle, I suppose, in a way that it's it's there is a lot of things that are changing in a way that we don't fully understand in terms of cognition and, and, and capacity to 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 contain a a, a a a platitude of of stimulation of stimuli. And I think where we started these conversations and, the, and there is something about okay, so what does it do to attachment? Mm -hmm. What does it do to your attachment with yourself? Yeah. And what is the attachment of you with others? And, 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 and therefore, where, if that is changing, and it is because it has to, it makes no sense that it doesn't, then what will that look like at a systemic level in 10, 15 years when these people are adults, when these people are in, in power positions? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm thinking that we've done full circle. Is there is there anything else you would want to to put into the conversation, or you know, is that another half hour, forty five minute debate, or are we are we kind of so where we, we're at, at the moment? I think we we finished for today. I think there is another one coming that I'm thinking a lot about. Is and then there is this blurring of lines of identities between my identity online and my identity. In, you, 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 you talk about this as, as, as corporeal. I finally, I have been saying this in, in a different way, which is corporeal. 
you know, and, it's, it's, and, and, and I didn't realize my mistake until recently when I heard you on a post- podcast and I actually checked, said, are we saying the same thing? <laughs> and the, there is something about what's real. The, 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 I have a real question around that. So with everything that's happening, there is, I have a big question about then what becomes real? What's real and what's not? Is the physical more real than the virtual? Does the, is the virtual starting to supersede the physical? And what are the implications, again, on, on an interpersonal and systemic political societal? So I yeah, think that's another conversation. Yeah, that's, that is definitely something that excites me because the thing that I didn't bring into today was when you were talking about um, the same level of interaction. If you have used VR... Um, and the way that and, and VR is increasing exponentially at the moment. I I have found. I mean, for example, I have found myself on the moon. I have found myself on the space station. I have uh, going back to the sciencey stuff, but I've also been under the water. I, there are places I have been that visually my body cannot tell the difference. And and so we we've yet to get into that because that is all polyvagal um, in terms of what that does to my my interpretation of real in terms of, well, hang on a minute, if we go with the, the line of consciousness, there isn't really a real anyway, because consciousness is the interpretation of what it is that we perceive, we think we're understanding, et cetera, et cetera. So I know that that's a completely yeah, different... That's, we are going... Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting and exciting and important conversation that I think we need to have. Um, yeah, so what, what we'll do then after we finish this is we'll book that one in... <laughs> so thank you yeah thank you so much for your time on this uh this this conversation today ronan and i'm i'm really excited actually to go to the next one as well a real pleasure i really i really enjoyed it It was a lot of fun this podcast was edited by rory kavanagh an audio enthusiast and music producer